Hello and welcome to Bad End Podcast. This is episode number 63. I'm Josh Calixto. I am joined by Katie McCarthy. Kyle is not in today. He couldn't make it. Uh, But we are going to be talking about the games of the decade. We have a very special guest this week. Uh, But before we get to that, I wanted to quickly say this is happening in tandem with the launch of Superculture, which is a new network that we just launched along with Bullet Points, as well as the Superculture Review, which is a new podcast that we put out. And this first season of that is going to be dedicated to Disco Elysium, so go check that out. The podcast is called The Superculture Review. The first season is called Savoir Faire, a Disco Elysium podcast. So go check that stuff out. And without further ado, uh, Katie, why don't you introduce our guest here? Yeah, so we've had this guest on in the past. I think it was a year ago, two years ago, maybe. maybe it was a long time ago. Anyway, we have had this guest on before, but we are so pleased to welcome back Tim Rogers of Kotaku.com. Yeah, that's me. What's up? Hello, and welcome back. great. Hello, and welcome back to another thrilling episode of Video Games. Welcome to my podcast. <laughs> what kind of beer are you drinking, Tim? Uh, I'm drinking a Coca-Cola Zero. Mm. Ooh, nice. I have Diet Coke right here. I do not drink the alcohol, because uh, I'm a huge baby. <laughs> also, you're in the it's Kotaku fair. office, so that would probably not be. I don't think that stops any of the people around here. People around here get kind of wild. <laughs> <laughs> people it's, it's people around here kind of. They're a bunch of renegades. You look out the goddamn window here at Kotaku.com, you know, Kotaku Tower. And, uh, you know, when Is I that started. Is the name of the building you're in? That would be a, that's a pretty cool name. <laughs> when, I, when I started freelancing for Kotaku.com circa 2005 which is a very long time ago, uh, almost 15 years ago, apropos of this new decade we've got coming up, um, there was a, a running joke on the website where they referred to their office as Kotaku Tower, which was funny because most of the employees worked remotely, uh, and I, I just <laughs> contributed freelance pieces. However, right now, uh, coming up on the beginning of the year 2020, which sure does sound like the future, Kotaku is literally headquartered on the uh, I won't say exactly what floor in case there be psychos uh, with ears pressed against the glass here. However, um, we're on the we're in the high 20s of a floor uh, on a floor in a skyscraper in Midtown Manhattan uh, in an area known to citizens of the world as Times Square. If you've ever oh, heard you're of this right place. in Times Square. Okay, we are in it. Times Square. We are on Damn. Broadway. Wow. On Broadway. Every night I get out of this office and it's call time for the play in the, 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 the theater next door. And there's a line of teenaged girls snaking around in front of my <laughs> office and I have to cut through them. And I get I get these dirty looks from people. <laughs> these these like, you're trying to cut me? And I'm like, do I look like I'm trying to cut, you know, whoever you are? I'm sure you're a nice person. Uh, so you look out the window here at Kotaku Tower and you look out at the God darn Times Square, the lights... They've got these 60 FPS LED signboards, 4K movie trailers, just blasting spoilers to any eyeballs in the vicinity. <laughs> so you look out there, Kotaku Tower. I mean, if you're looking out on something like that, you can see where the ball is. If you were allowed up here on New Year's Eve, which I think you're not, you could see the <laughs> ball drop. So I would say in such an environment, why would one not crack open a tasty beverage, right? Especially yeah. a Coke Zero, Zero Sugar. Now, yeah, yeah, they they added an extra word to it because I overheard a conversation between two people I knew to be Ivy League graduates uh, conversing as to what the difference between Coke Zero 
and Diet Coke and Coke Zero Sugar was. And, uh, well, let's just say the rebrand didn't work. And, uh, <laughs> it, wait, so is it really difference? Like between Coke Zero Sugar and Coke Zero? No, it's the same thing. It's, uh, they just oh. said Zero Sugar because people thought that Coke Zero meant it had, and this is no joke, these, these literal Ivy League graduates. I, again, I don't want to give them a name and I don't even want to name which Ivy League college it is. I don't have that much disdain. I'm Big Ten, but, uh, um, you know, I don't have that much disdain for the Ivy Leaguers, though one of them floated out the, the uh, no, actually what Coke Zero is Coke without high fructose corn syrup. It has real sugar. And that's what they believed between themselves in that conversation. So apparently no. the message, I'm not even, I'm not joking about this. <laughs> apparently the what? message was, uh, the message was very messed up people there were there were people out there who did not know what coke zero was now i mean i'm not saying that because you went to harvard or yale or columbia university that that it's it's a uh, implied in the curriculum what sweeteners are used in which diet beverages though uh i mean i'm not, I'm not implying that they should have known uh, in fact maybe that's why they didn't know because they had better things to do than learn about the sweeteners and diet cokes <laughs> though uh yeah the fact is that people just weren't really sure what coke zero was that, that's like, weird. Yeah, that, that's that always nutty? what I I just knew is like, oh, it's like you know. it's just another diet coke. It's a different it's just diet, diet coke. coke. Tastes it's, a little different. <laughs> yeah, it, it tastes. Uh, it's for people who never became indoctrinated to diet coke. Yeah, so it's like, I like I mean, diet coke better, but yeah. like I drink regular coke and I'm like, this is too sweet. I mean, that's oh, too much going on. regular coke is too sweet and texturally it does it does a thing to the teeth that should that's not like be done syrupy. according to dentists. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's gross. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a bad feeling, and uh, basically, I I drank the heck out of it for a while, the regular Coke, and then the diet. I tried Diet Coke, didn't like it because uh, it tastes different. Then Coke Zero tasted similar enough that I was able to obliterate regular Coca Cola from my life. It, That's where I am and, too. I'm uh, a recovering Coke um, drinker. I used to drink a crazy amount of soda every day, and now it's like I enjoy a Diet know. Coke at night. Usually, or Coke Zero. At yeah, night. I call it's them Diet like Cokes. Every now and then, I call them Diet Cokes because I I got used to telling people, "Oh, I'm gonna drink a Diet Coke," uh, colloquially, or should I say, Coke colloquially, <laughs> um, because they they didn't know they didn't know what Coke Zero was, right? So it's like people didn't know what Coke Zero was. So I got used to just saying, "Oh, I'll drink a Diet Coke," and I, I, people would just be holding a Diet Coke or a, a Coke Zero and be like, "Oh, this is a good Diet Coke." And it's like, <laughs> and then you know, it's like I tried to like convince my brother that he should drink. These uh, diet beverages, and he's like, "Oh, they just taste wrong, dude." And I'm like, "Oh, you, you just start drinking them." And uh, I don't know if you realize this, but the drink that you're drinking doesn't really taste like anything real. Probably not even on any alien planet. They don't have a naturally occurring wellspring source of that particular liquid. <laughs> so you might as well allow yourself to uh, become indoctrinated to the flavor of a different kind of unnaturality, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's like just tr just drink this thing for about three days, and it becomes the new real. Uh, yeah. So yeah. there you go. I mean, like I used to not like Lacroix or whatever, and heart like any seltzer, and now, it's pronounced like, Lacroix. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? No, it's not. <laughs> I was like, oh my god. That was a Christmas joke, is what that was. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I've had that stuff. They used to deliver it to my house from Costco, or at least the the delivery service would would bring me some, and then they 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 took it off the menu. 
So now they're I don't good. drink it they're anymore. They're good, but they're dangerous because I just drink like 10 if I have like a 12 pack. Like I can just drink so many back to back. And it's like, this is just getting in the way of me drinking regular water. And yeah, anyway. I'm going to tell, you, <laughs> tell you what, you just got to drink water. That's what I do. Yeah. I just drink a, I drink, I drink two a gallons a day. Yeah. Like a, I have a giant water bottle. It's like, I drink there. eight liters, eight God darn liters a day. Not, not, <laughs> not at the same time, but I, I, I go wild on them. Water and Coke I love Zero it. sugar. The perfect. Yeah, well, I drink I drink one or two of these. One or two of these per day. I don't I don't go wild on the Coke Zeros. I mean, maybe in the past I might have allowed myself such a dalliance, though uh, I've grown up a little bit. Not really. Mm-hmm. I've grown up enough to uh be told by a gastroenterologist to cut down on the acidic things. <laughs> that's what the eight liters so is that's all a, about. That's a key difference between me in the year as the year 2019 draws to a close and me as the year 2010 drew to a start uh, is that uh, I now regularly converse with a gastroenterologist on a professional capacity. Didn't happen when I was 30, and now that I'm 40, there it is. Well, (laughs) speaking of the year 2010, Uh segue. Did you like that? Yeah, great great segue, Tim. Um, I... So we were talking a bit about uh, before the episode. You got a new video dropping for Kotaku about your games of the decade, which oh yeah, this is coming out Thursday. That'll be out tomorrow by our time. Um, but we want to uh-huh. talk about your decade in gaming or whatever, what have you, um, because your life has been pretty, you know, parallel to games for the past decade, I assume. But I want to know and occasionally perpendicular. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I want to hear <laughs> never. <laughs> let's let's start yeah. at 2010. Where was Tim Rogers? Is, is this, do we start in 2010 or 20, 2009? Yeah, 20, 2010. We'll right? okay, I don't want to start this conversation. No, 2010. 2010. 2010. No. 2010. This has been a 2010, big Beginning of 2010 to the Take end of, 2000, of 2019. That's it exactly is insane 10 years. how people have been arguing about this on like Twitter yeah. and stuff. People have been like, no, Midnight. it's like 2009. or Midnight like, yeah. on January 1st, to, uh, 2010 to... 11.59 on December 31st, 2019. That's the decade. Yes. Makes okay. And I can't okay. tell you where I will be at the end <laughs> of the decade because I don't think that God darn far ahead. And maybe that's the problem <laughs> that got me into all of these crazy situations that happened <laughs> over, <laughs> over the course of this decade. So as a, at, at, on a January 1st, midnight, uh, 2010, I was... At the Metropolitan Theater in Chicago, Illinois. Uh, that's how they pronounce it up there. In case you, you that's not true. I was at the Metropolitan Theater in Chicago, Illinois, with my uh, with my fiance, and uh, we were we were visiting the United States of America from Japan. It was my first time visiting the United States of America in about five years. I had not visited or anything. I mean, outside of uh, going to E3, I used to have to go to E3 for work, and. Uh, I had made a little trip to visit my parents. I hadn't seen my parents in forever. And we were seeing none other than the greatest band in the history of the world, well, second greatest band in the history of the world, the Jesus Lizard, performing mm-hmm. a reunion concert in at the Metropolitan Theater. That's where I was on New Year's Eve 2010. And what does that have to do with video games? I don't know. That's, <laughs> that's where it was. That's how my decade began. Begin the decade... And then I went back to Japan where I was a video game developer. I was a triple A video game. They call it a designer. You heard of this? Yeah. A video game I think designer. So. You heard of this 
heard it's a little a, something like that. It's something people think what is done by, for example, the fantasies of nine-year-olds uh, sent in envelope stuffing letters to Game Pro magazine circa 1989 or such. Though really, it's just kind of a lot of work with spreadsheets, and uh, it's a very there's a very tedious element. There's a heavy lifting of small numbers, as I once called it. But that's that's game design. It's a job. It's a job like any goddamn other. Well, it's not. I don't know. Every job is is different. You know, all happy jobs are alike. All whatever jobs are different in their different ways. So what were you? What Tolstoy were you doing? Said, what what did you, what are your design responsibilities entail well my design responsibilities entailed uh basically uh uh subverting the very concept of accountability letting other people take the blame <laughs> for a project not being managed correctly just watching everything kind of slide away as electronic arts repeatedly asked us what actually our game was and uh just basically helping the ceo slash director of the game uh kind of skirt around the responsibility of actually figuring out what the game was and getting any of it done. So that's basically what it was. I made levels and I prototyped guns and prototyped various items and uh, wrote up documents and did up pitches to show the publisher. And then we just, it's a lot of it just never really got together. What, and, uh, is it, can you say what game this was? Uh, it was, uh, well, the game I was working on at that time was a game called Shadows of the Darned by uh, Grasshopper Manufacture, uh, published by Electronic Arts. I call it Shadows of the Darned. Right, right, right. Because I think, I think it better communicates the nature of the game, mm. uh, which is, uh, I don't know, I, I never I never played it. I played it for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and you worked on it for how many months? Worked on it for about, off and on, about three and a half years. <laughs> You know, whenever you see a video game, man, I don't want, I don't want to like, because I don't think I'm under any kind of an NDA uh, anymore. Uh, I just, I just hung out with Suda recently, but uh, hmm. like, uh, uh, you know, whenever you see like a video game developer be like, this game was in development for two years or whatever. It's like, yeah, okay, sure. It wasn't always on in development for two years. It came out in 2011. I remember distinctly that it came out in 2011 and we had started developing it in 2007. And I wasn't on it the whole time. And as of halfway through 2010, I wasn't on anything. So uh, though as 2010 began, there I was, peripheral and accessory to this continued uh, <laughs> sham. And it's, not, I mean, not to, not to hate or anything. It's always a sham. AAA video game development's always, there's always at least one sham happening per minute. So it wasn't such a, a wild thing. And I mean, I remember playing it in 2011 uh, when it came out. I, I, I remember my buddy uh, Brandon Sheffield got like a copy for free. Like so somebody sent him a free copy of it and he was like, ooh, look at this. You want to play this? And I was like, lol. <laughs> and I remember the very beginning of the very first level being like a staircase that I had made um, during... Uh, I mean, don't quote me on this. I mean, go ahead and quote me on this. I don't care. Uh, a staircase that I had made uh, was surrounded by a bunch of dudes wanting to learn how to use the Unreal Engine. I was like, how easy does it make a staircase? And I put it there. And uh, I hear I could, if I were writing a, a movie screenplay about this, I would have Goichi Suda like spit out his tea and say, 
That's a that's amazing. Let's can we just leave that in there? <laughs> I want to start the game with this. Textbook. That's it. And it's like I distinctly remember the exact gray box geometry of this staircase because it was like stuck in a scene for like forever. And then I believe I don't believe. I know for a fact that nothing else I made wound up in the game. And you know what? That's just that's just life. And if you're not there the day the game ships, your name's not in the credits. So my name is not in the credits, of course. I get people to, I get haters. So at the beginning of the decade, there I was, willfully anonymous, occasionally contributing columns to Kotaku.com, sometimes lambasting the work of fellow developers on my private blog, anonymously contributing to Grasshopper Manufacturer as a video game designer. And uh, now in the year 2019, I make elaborate labyrinthine videos about video games in which uh, underneath which many commenters tell me to uh, stop playing Fortnite or whatever and go back to school or tell my mom to stop hitting me like whatever they, they just they they just leave these comments where it's like oh I don't know I I worked on some games and then like I said something about Grasshopper and then there was like this this comment where a guy was like I have proof that he did not work on this game and it's like oh okay I'm sure you do and that's cool I don't want to prove it to you uh I don't need you to believe me that I was there uh I, I I'll own up to the fact that I was an ignoramus squandering my life as the as the decade began squandering my life uh i uh i was told at a young age that i have an ungodly high iq like just a morbidly disgustingly rhinoceros chokingly <laughs> high iq and uh and uh, you know my mom repeatedly told me apropos of my acquisition of a donkey kong country pre-order t-shirt in october of 1994 um she told me that I was going to die homeless if I wore that thing outside. And repeatedly throughout the rest of high school and leading into uh, leading into the portion of my adult life where I escaped the orbit of uh, central Indiana, uh, she told me I was lazy. And I thought I was uh, basically, you know, you, you try to get away from people who are telling you the truth. And I guess I was real lazy at the beginning of the decade. And I had allowed myself to be. I was, however, I could run a god darn five-minute mile. That's what I placed priority on, uh, was, uh, was, was physical, just physical performance. I could run a god darn five-minute mile. What? And I'm going to tell you what. In 2010, you could run a five-minute mile? In 2010. In 2010. As of age 27, I broke the five-minute barrier. And then at age 29, I, I could still do it. And then I've, I've obviously lost the ability. My last <laughs> six-minute mile was, my last six-minute mile was in 2016. Uh, so it's like, I'm not, I'm still, I could still run pretty fast. Not lately, though. We can, we can get into that another time, though. Uh, I'm going to blow your mind. At age 27, I ran a 9.58.2 mile. That puts me in the top one percentile of, of runners uh, of of two of two mile runners, however, uh, that top one percentile is several thousands of people, and <laughs> in order to be in the Olympics, you got to be able to do it in like seven twenty. So it's like that's just not possible for me. The, the The distance between me and the Olympian level is is just mind blowing 
it's just a cosmic horror ocean's worth of difference between me and an Olympian. Okay. So, so that was also kind of a good description for me as a person with a rhinoceros chokingly high IQ. And just, uh, I, there's a difference between what I have and what, a uh, God darn Albert Einstein, right? It's like the people who actually do stuff and try to change the world or whatever. Anyway, I went to E3 in 2010, in June of 2010, after uh, I was in a band, right? So I was running five minute miles and I was in a band playing guitar, like an art noise band, just playing guitar and yelling. If you say it was art, you know, then that basically you're unimpeachable to accusations of making just <laughs> noise. Um, however, you know, back then I would like put up a video on YouTube and be like, you guys suck. And I'd be like, yeah, so what? You know, and then they would be like, oh, you mad, bro, or whatever. And I'm like, no, uh, I think our music's cool. And they'd be like, you got owned and you're just not admitting it. And it's like, well, now it's been 10 years. I'm going to say, I did like that music. I don't know. Whatever. It's okay to like dumb stuff. Crikey. I make videos about video games for a living. That's the most idiotic, god darn, just unethically idiotic thing in the world that I'm doing with my life. <laughs> Let's face it. I have I have a ridiculous terribly stupid job. And that's uh that's what I want to get into. 2010, I went to E3 uh knowing that I would come back. I was going to stay in California for a month and I was going to go back. And then my band was going to open for some metal bands that I really liked and we were going to they were letting us run this this show at this venue that I really liked. This venue was like, we want you to organize an event and call some of your favorite bands. And I called a, a couple of hardcore bands that I liked and a metal band that I liked. And they're like, yeah, we'll be there, dude. And it's like, oh, heck yeah, this is going to be cool. And then uh, on my way back into the country uh, of Japan, uh, despite possessing a visa, I had a, I had a visa, um, like a working visa, like that would allow me to live there. And I had a house and, uh, I had a six-bedroom house and uh, a fiancé. Uh, the immigration inspector just rejected the visa, which is something that they can do. So that's how I ended up not working on any more video games with Grasshopper Manufacturer. And that's how I ended up homeless on a beach on the north shore of Oahu Island in Hawaii. And, uh, I was there for a couple of months, uh, not homeless the whole time. I, I made my way. I gathered my resolve and I decided to return to the United States of America, to the San Francisco Bay area to, uh, do something good. And then I dedicated the next four years of my life to, uh, trying to do something good. And it just didn't pay any money at all. And uh, as a hobby, I was making a video game. And through making that video game, I met many independent video game creators and such. And, uh, you know, experienced a lot of video game industry stuff. I met God darn Cliffy B, you know. That's, what? I'd, I'd met Cliffy. I'd met Cliffy B before that, though, of course. Um, <laughs> was, I, just, I just experienced this whole, uh, you know, started a company, got an accountant, uh, and then I, 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 I did work as a consultant, and uh, I consulted on apps, on user experiences and user interfaces, branding and marketing. And I was just like, 
some guy who people could uh, sense or believed or wanted to sense some some taint of the filth of circumnavigating the globe in uh, in in just slimy ways. They could they could sense that I had been places, and uh, they were willing to pay me. I mean, Lord, exorbitant amounts of money to just call them losers or whatever. <laughs> and it was it was the weirdest thing. Um, and I used their money to finance the development of a video game until such point that video game publishers started offering me money. And I took some of their money. And that's how I ended up suing somebody on Christmas uh, in, in 2014. This is like, this uh, is an epic... And, uh, holiday special type to, this is like the, re- a christmas story a christmas carol it's awful yeah it gets it just keeps getting worse too is the best part so to yeah. rewind a little bit i'd love to hear about like some of the games you developed in like the early not the one not like with grasshopper but like the ones when you were an indie developer in the band yeah. which is where i'm so at, like so i was i was an indie developer trying to make my own indie dependent independent games and i was working and consulting with apps Right. So I was working on, on apps, some of many apps that you might have deleted in, in the past. So I, I, I was there. There are apps that you might have had on your phone at some point or might still have on your phone that paid my exorbitant consult con, consultation is how I pronounced it somehow con, that paid my exorbitant hourly consultation fee uh, at some point in the past. And uh, that's I'm grateful for that. Uh, though somehow I also was a uh, tricked somebody into believing I could do uh, like economy design for social games. It turned out I actually could, which was nice. Uh, it's just a lot of calculus. You got to know your uh, yeah. You got to know you got to know your calculus, and you got to know like your your quantitative finance calculus. You're like stochastic equations and and whatnot. You know what I'm talking about? Exactly. You know what you know you know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. So you got you to know that stuff. And I mean, I had to figure it all out myself. However, it turns out I figured it out myself faster than the guys that were that had been doing it for a living previously there. Uh, the, the faster than it took them to actually like do all the work. I, I figured it out and did it all. So I don't really feel good about that because it was it was a god darn nightmare. It was a headache. That was the first time I experienced crippling eye strain. Was uh, that this one particular game I'm thinking about? And I worked on worked on two, three Zynga games. Technically, technically three, uh, definitely two, technically three. And uh, then a whole lot of uh, I don't know. Everybody back then, you remember the early 2010s. So when you look back at the the decade of the 2010s, and if you try to this is why I don't envy people uh, kind of undertaking a task such as trying to pick the 100 best games of the decade or whatever. Like trying to define the decade as as a singular thing because there sure were a lot more elements, a lot more moving parts in the video game industry in 2010 than there have been in previous decades to the point where, you know, films, the film industry generally knows what it's doing. You've got independent films and you've got big films. Video games, you've got independent games, you've got big games, you've got medium-sized independent games. You've got games like Control that are like one-third the budget of uh, an EA game. You've got social games, mobile games. There's just, there's way too many different little pieces and parts 
And then there's these peripheral industries. Uh, we don't really think of of the movie theaters as part of the movie industry, though. You definitely think of Twitch as part of the the game the games industry, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, like it it they've got sales partnerships, and it's just you know the the rat eating itself from the tail to subvert whatever expression it was I failed to find. It's 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 a big weird Sick. industry with a whole lot of parts. Yeah, so we have yeah, the Ouroboros. It's the Ouroboros rat. I like thinking of it as a rat because it's got to eat the tail, and then once it gets to the tail, it's got a task ahead of itself. It's 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 got it's bitten off literally more than it can chew at that point. So it's the rat eating its own tail. Right. Um, the snake has it easy. You know, it's he eats his tail. He turns yeah. inside out. He eats his tail again. Turns right side out. Eats it again. Turns inside out. You know, just keeps basically reversing polarity. Until he has evaporated, because he's shrinking simultaneously to that. Um, yeah, uh, so you know you've got all your stuff like Twitch, and you've got all these like clearly big movements. Twitch informing game design trends, right? So clearly, game design trends were as influenced by Twitch as uh, as I don't know anything else going on. I mean, I know that I was privy to a lot of conversations where people are like, "Oh, we want a game that people are going to want to share their score on." on their Facebook. That was the beginning of it, right? So it was uh, after working on a couple Facebook games, which I don't even think those exist anymore. Uh, and uh, I'm not going to check because I haven't looked at my Facebook in like literally a year. Mafia Wars? <laughs> Words Mafia Wars. I worked, I, I worked for the developer of uh, Mob Wars. I worked for them for a little bit on a couple of things. That was the original Mafia Wars. Okay. Zynga, Zynga ripped them off. They actually... Founded a company with their one hundred million dollar settlement uh, for th- their plagiarism settlement with Zynga. They founded a studio, and I oh ate. Lord. I ate so much of their money. It was great. It was uh, a. <laughs> there was a. There was a part where I said I would rather eat a dry beach towel than continue to play your video game for ten seconds. And then uh, the CEO tweeted, sometimes it's good to have somebody on the staff who says what they're thinking. Hashtag startup life. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, that, that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, yeah, so the people were like, we want to make games. So it was there, first there were Facebook games. Then there were, uh, uh, there was mobile games. So there were social games. There were mobile games. And then there were social mobile games, which uh, I wrote. I wrote a thing about social mobile games, uh, Who Killed Video Games, it was called. I wrote that uh, about some of my experience working on people who were just trying to extract mathematical formulas. I'd gotten pretty good at extracting the economies from games because, you know, usually you you experience enough of the social or the mobile game and you purchase enough items and you look at the, the timers and such and you can just kind of extract the math. And I got real, like, hooked on the numbers and uh uh just like trying to see if there were any honest social games where by honest i define it as uh irregular numbers like games that don't extract cleanly out to whole numbers almost every social game outside of zynga uh zynga had some had some phds in there working on the on the economy math though a lot of these social mobile games were just like you know you you root all the way through it and it's like you got fives and threes right it's like oh they're just like multiplying stuff by like five and three and two it's like it's wild it's like elementary school kindergarten math and it's like tap your goldfish to get a dollar every five minutes or whatever tap pet shop was uh uh in terms of uh 
staff overhead versus uh, daily active users versus income or whatever. It was the uh, it was like the champ of social mobile games. Like everybody in the industry knew that tap pet shop. It was called uh, by Pocket Gems, and then uh, you know eventually there was a Clash of Clans, and then everybody's get hooked on talking about Clash of Clans. Mm-hmm. So I was in all these games. And uh, I know that uh, anyone who is more traditionally affiliated with, you know, cleaner, purer, better video games thinks that mobile games are probably a, a, a boring topic for a podcast. Though uh, there's a whole lot of this that carries over to AAA games because you end up with uh, loot boxes. You know, I was there. I was there when the the first loot boxes were forged. You know, I, I witnessed it. <laughs> um, not only was I there, I I helped people extract math from other games basically assassinating the economies of smaller games so that a publisher with a little bit more money to spend on an advertising budget could push their slightly more sinister mathematics on slightly more sensitive people and then you ended up with the loot boxes which kind of i believe i said in the time uh during a private uh privileged nda uh nda'd consultation session which i believe the nda has lapsed i I did i did advise that loot boxes were gonna definitely turn into some kind of cataclysmic uh player outrage moment and they did right we would say they did many i mean they're now being tried as like illegal or whatever yeah i've fallen off the the bandwagon with talking about that stuff though i did tell some god darn vibram five finger shoes wearing guy (laughs) uh that he was a psycho and uh, uh, this uh, for this whole thing, I'm like, you know, players like eventually this is players are going to hate this stuff. And then uh, I, I actually that was actually the coolest uh, quitting that I ever did at a job was uh, I, I, I left <laughs> like I uh, like I, I, I emailed the guy. I don't like you either because he had said something and then I left. But Ooh. during the meeting, he uh, he. They did like this. Uh, it was it was so weird being in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, video game development scene at that time. With like I'm talking like the sleazy like money making video game development where they were getting all this cash under and on top of the table. It was really weird being involved in that at that time because uh, it's like it, there was a lot of little brotherism going on. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was like they're looking at like the tech industry and they're just talking about Google. Like I want to open my office near Twitter. We got our settlement lawsuit because a big company plagiarized plagiarized us. It's like, first of all, if you've been plagiarized by them and they were able to pay you that much money, maybe you should try doing something else, right? Yeah. Uh, like, if they had enough money to give you that much money, just buy a house, you know? God ain't making any more land, et cetera, right? So, I, I, I don't know. I've watched some people watched some people really burn out and also, you know, spend a lot of money in the process and that's how i obtained two beautiful brand new steelcase leap chairs for free uh, for my home <laughs> office um because you know everything must go it's all write-offs jerry you know it's all write-offs so everybody's writing everything off and uh i uh so this this guy he he had this uh so yeah there's this little brotherism they're like following the startups or not the startups they're following companies like google and facebook and they're like they're, they're reading these manuals these these books on leadership written by vegetarians from Iowa living in San Francisco in 2008 or whatever, just like reading these like leadership manuals. And they're like, 
this is the best way to have a meeting, you know? And so it's like, we, we went through, at, I, I endured weekly, like four different types of fad meeting. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, I've worked at multiple startups <laughs> and startup-esque places in my life. And I'm glad to yeah. hear that this is a trend among all of them because it's all I mean, that's flow. how it was with Kill Screen. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah? Like, David would always, he would always be like, oh, this is like a, what we're doing for meetings now. Like, we're doing like this new note system. We're doing like a uh, new, yeah, like, yeah. this is a meeting. You guys have heard of Agile? To, but talk about oh, this Agile. new meeting. <laughs> yeah. So we, uh, there was always some new thing. And uh, the, the fact that I just knew these guys were just getting, a, just failing straight up till they, Till they crashed through the bottom of a 747 straight into a first class seat, just just failing straight up off the 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 toxic high of b- putting one of these meeting styles in the skills section of their resume. Right, I'm fluent in agile. You know, it's like okay, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. I, uh, I I knew I knew and worked with some people at uh, you know Jira. Do you know Jira? Yeah. It's yeah. like a bug re- bug reporting bug database. Report, yeah. So it's like, yeah, I did I did some some help with user experience and such. There, I don't, I'm not going to talk about too many specific clients though. It's like uh, this place was interesting, uh, <laughs> like, but uh, so it's yeah. Uh, enough. Uh, I'm not going to finish what I was going to say about that. Forget that. Okay. Though uh, it's like just like people putting uh, like, oh, I'm I'm real good at Jira on my resume. It's like okay, you're good at. I mean, Jira's Jira's cool though. You know, you you need something to organize when you're. You know, there's nothing like nothing quite like getting mad at at Jira or perceiving anything on Jira to be passive aggressive. This was my like, this was my 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 real Larry Davidian input that I had on them was I'm like, you know, I don't know, I feel like it's real easy to come across as passive aggressive on this thing. It's really really easy. It's like, oh yeah, it's like yeah, I think it should work. And it's like I don't know if we can work on that. That's like it's more of a people problem. I'm like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, you could do something to uh, encourage the people, maybe some nicer colors. Uh, I don't know, you know, like uh, little things like that, um, just to know. Oh, so sure so they, they incorporate it. Yeah, nicer yeah. So, colors. I mean, this, is, is... this is paychecks right here. Oh, yeah. This is God darn paychecks. The kind of stuff you can do in this God darn world for a paycheck, <laughs> money's not real. And the people who have it are sick. Like usually the people who have enough money to pay me any money to do anything they're universally sick, right? Let's yeah. get that off the table. Let's push that <laughs> onto the floor right now. So I'm in this meeting and this guy's like, they've incorporated this new, I don't know which one this is, to be honest. Because I think, you know, again, I have a, I have a monstrously high IQ, right? So it's like, I don't, I don't really need to know any of this stuff. All I need to know is, uh, like, I can't for the life of me. You know, okay, I love Kotaku.com. This place is great. They have a meeting every morning where they, they talk through the stories and stuff. Like, we're like, okay, so you're going to post this and you're going to post this? Yeah, I'm going to post this. Okay, good. I'm going to post this. I'm going to post this. I'm like, oh, you. I said yesterday I was going to post this. Okay, good. I'm gonna, that's good. Is that still on track? It's on track. I'm like, why can't everybody just remember what everybody else is doing all the time? Like, <laughs> is, that, is it really that hard? Like, seriously, is it really that hard to just know what everyone is doing, whether you've talk to them about it or not like i don't know am i the only person who can do this anyway that qualifies me so if anybody's listening and you need a ceo uh, i'm also a cpa so there's that and no, uh, i not. once ran yeah oh i'm a cpa baby i'm a cpa what uh, uh, it was 
it was easy. It was easier than, uh, well, I mean, I still have an accountant to do my business. Let's not get into that. I still have an accountant <laughs> to do my business taxes, uh, though. Uh, it's, it's, it's really helpful if you want to do it right. And you've like been audited before and I pay an accountant to, uh, to sign off my taxes and help me in case I get audited, uh, basically to run the audit for me because I've been audited in the past mm, for a very complicated reason. Yeah. It was audited in 2008 and I'm, um, I'm, it's, it's messed me up. I got refused for a credit card yesterday so i attempted over the course of the last 10 years to get a credit card and i, I couldn't do it wow. so i'm going to indianapolis indiana to visit my parents and i'm going to try to rent a car to go to chicago and i have a capital one mastercard with a 200 dollar limit and it's not going to be enough <laughs> to rent a car <laughs> because they want i don't know how much of a deposit they want like they want more than 200 dollars, right uh, anyway yeah, yeah I, I tried to get a card with a thousand dollar limit and they just wouldn't let me do it anyways there was there was this new this new meeting style that they had at this startup and this guy man he was not my kind of guy uh cuz you know it's i i've just got a problem with not with authority necessarily just with with managers does that make sense yeah with people who like clearly want to be a manager and this guy was like 25 and he'd gone to a fancier school than me. And, uh, he, uh, he was hired to be like, they, they pulled him in as like a guru. He was a guru at age 25. <laughs> and it's like, this is some God darn cartoon bonkers, you know, nonsense going on here. So he had this meeting style where everyone stood up cause it was a stand up. Right. And then here's here's what I'm getting getting up to. And he he said, uh, Wait, you have people to, literally stand up in a stand up. That's that's why they call it a stand up. Yes. Really? Believe it or not. Uh, you stand I mean, up, I makes, do like I do stand ups every morning, but it's but like nobody stands a five up. minute thing. And we're all on Skype. So it's like five minutes. Like, all right, this is what you're I doing. Went, cool. I went to many. Uh, I consulted at many startups that honored the old ways, which apparently means uh, a stand up. They take stand up literally. They were, they were, what, what are they called? Like constitutional literist, literalists or whatever. Mm -hmm. they, 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 they were down to the letter of the law. They're like, we're going to stand up for our stand ups. So we stand up at the stand up. And some of them, they would call it a stand up and they wouldn't stand up. I think standing up is better. I, uh, I think it's, I think it's better for uh, that sort of meeting, like the check in, right? I think it's better. I think it's better not to, uh, not to hate on people who sit. I just, I think, I think it's slightly I mean, better. Yeah, because they're supposed to be like short in nature. So you're basically yeah. like kind of like in a, in passing. Yeah. Like, if you sit down, yeah, it's, yeah. you know, you're preparing for something bigger than a stand-up should I be. I so. I mean, my yeah, stand-up yeah. is like the first thing I do in the morning. I'm like sitting on my couch with my coffee because <laughs> my partner does not wake up till like two hours after I wake up. And it's like. You should have to stand up uh, in front of your webcam. <laughs> just in front of the computer. <laughs> be like, everybody, all right, everybody everyone, needs, everyone needs to stand up. <laughs> I mean, I think I, I honestly think it's good to stand up for those. Uh, again, you know, that's just me. I get it. Uh, so we're standing up. And so this this new style he had implemented was we're going to go around the room and then everyone has to say how they're feeling. Right. So it was some real God darn hippie Mr. Rogers nonsense. <laughs> it was like it was like somebody who'd never seen Mr. Rogers and presumed what Mr. Rogers was like. Right. Mm. Is what it is, what it felt like this guy. Now, for the record, 
Yes, Fred Rogers was my second cousin. I've mentioned this before. I am directly related to Mr. Rogers. So when people call me, <laughs> does anybody ever call you Mr. Rogers or ask me how things are going in the neighborhood? And I tell them, oh, you know, Mr. Rogers was actually my second cousin. They all accuse me of lying. However, no, I'm sorry. It's, uh, Is this it's real? True. Yeah, of course. It's of course. true? Yeah, this, it's not that. I mean, I never Whoa. met the guy. I never met him. Yeah. Uh, though, uh, what yeah. year did he die? He passed away in like the 90s, right? Or I wouldn't there. No, it was like 2008, 2000. It was Wasn't 2009. that recent? Yeah. No, he's still alive. No, I'm just kidding. He's not still alive. <laughs> he's not still alive. I was alive. like, whoa. <laughs> no, there was a, I mean, I remember reading the uh, Esquire magazine profile of him in 1998. Uh, Can You Say Hero? I believe it was called. Oh, yeah. I read and that's that. one they just made into a movie, right? Yeah, they just made it into a movie. And yeah. I saw the trailer for the movie and I'm like, oh, how, how slash why do I remember every single word? <laughs> of this uh of this profile like why do i remember this and uh and then i'm like i don't really need to see this movie because i i actually almost went to see it on saturday night believe it or not almost went because i was i want to see it I'll i see was it. i was by myself on a saturday eve and uh you know i just thought why not go check out the raj right big <laughs> raj so this guy asks uh what's the What's the god darn, how are you feeling? It's like, so, okay, so, you know, let's just say, make up a guy's name, for example, uh, Mark, how are you? And then he goes, uh, I'm a, uh, hello, everybody. I'm glad to be here. And then, uh, and then, you know, he would go around the room and be like, if you want to pass on the check-in, if you want to pass, it's okay. And then, uh, uh, <laughs> Like, uh, they would get to me, and I'd be like, I passed. I, I passed. I pass. <laughs> and I would always just, I would just stand there with my arms folded, you know, one foot against the wall, uh, hunched forward a little bit, trying to look tough. You know, and it's like, I, I freely admit that, that I wanted to look. It's hard to look stand. The, the, one of the, the classic techniques is when everyone's sitting at the meeting is to stand. And that makes it go faster because everyone's freaked out. But when everyone's standing, what do you do? You can't just sit down because I don't want to sit down. I don't like sitting down. Um, so, you know, you stand against the wall and you just look tough. Right. And then, uh, I would pass. And then one day he was like, you pass every time. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say you, uh, you, you have to check in today. And I said, are you ready for this? I said, is that in the manual? <laughs> and he goes, he goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, are you, are you, does the manual say you're allowed to do that? <laughs> and then he's like, uh, uh, I'm, I'm making it up. And I'm like, can we get the manual? Can we take a look at this? Are you allowed to? And then he's like, let's just, just tell us how you're doing. Are you mad? Sad? Glad? What are you? And I go, to be honest, I'm a little bit sad. And he goes, oh, well, what are you feeling sad about? And I said, feeling sad about the creeping notion <laughs> that the next time I go use the bathroom, you're going to show up behind me. And force me to become a Scientologist at knife point. You said this in the meeting. Yeah, yeah I, lit I literally said that in the meeting. And that's, I mean, I shouldn't be proud of saying this, though. This guy, this guy had God darn. I mean, I, I, I accidentally became knowledgeable of how much money uh, he was being paid. It's like, this is, this is the sort of thing you have to say to a narc, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the sort of thing that. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't want to build a reputation as a person who is mean to people in public places and 
flagrant contexts. It did not damage or jeopardize my job. Uh, uh, though, it, you know, it's, it's just, it was a lost cause. And that was my 2010s, the middle of it anyway, <laughs> was uh, consulting for people who, that, for, for whom my respect was irretrievable to these people. You know what I mean? Like they, like they could not get me to respect them, these people <laughs> that I worked for. And why did I do it? Well, for one thing, they were an evil. And for the other thing, I needed the money. And for the third thing, my attempts at working for or with people who were trying to do good things, uh, they, they were not monetarily satisfactory uh, to a point where I was looking at 2014, I was working easily 100 hours a week, uh, more than that usually, up to 120 hours a week at six or seven different consulting jobs at a time. I was doing nine things at once, a couple of them for free. Um, I own 1% of a whole lot of zeros and... Uh, Mostly, I, I wanted to work in uh, education, right? Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, I don't want to talk too much about that because uh, I try to keep this sort of stuff hidden from uh, from from the. Fa I want people to think that I'm just a guy who uh, loves talking smack about Donkey Kong Country. Though <laughs> I did, I, I'm getting to the end of this year, and I'm like, I tried to do some stuff, man, and uh, some of it had, and, and then I ended up getting just the people who had the tedious goddarn questions about video games have you heard of flappy bird uh how can we get something like that that game's bringing in fifty thousand dollars a day it looks like a child made it i'm like yeah okay um first of all it, maybe a, a child couldn't make it maybe the guy's a little older than a child um and also i don't think you could pay the guy who made flappy bird to make you a game like flappy bird uh it's a fluke man and I, i'll take your money to prototype you something and then eventually you know i started getting people uh based on this reputation alone i started getting people offering me money to make my own games by myself uh with my team uh usually it, it i had to explain that i i want a team i'm like oh, i want my two guys to work with me brent porter and michael kerwin i want these guys like oh it's not just you I'm like no it's not just me um and uh it's like if you want just me, you're gonna you're gonna have to be okay with something that looks like Mario Paint. It's not even MS Paint. You're gonna have to, <laughs> have to be okay with like <laughs> some Mario Paint looking stuff. And uh, yeah, man. Uh, uh, and then you know, basically they they bring you on, knowledgeable of nothing, ignorant, just a a vacuum of understanding for whatever it is I uh, am good at, for whatever it is we collectively are good at. Uh, not disrespectful of so much as ignorant of my actual experience, my actual aptitude, just ghost money knocking on the door and saying, can you make a game? We hear you're a guy who can do the games. I'm like, okay, yeah. What do you want? Uh, why don't you just tell us something, buddy? And then, you know, you end up mocking it up and hacking together and slapping together something and making a video game like prototype for some people and it's like we're just not really seeing this as you know as popular as words with friends or whatever it's like are, are you are you high like 
what god darn glue are you sniffing because uh i think that's for uh, for fixing horseshoes you know like i don't i don't know what, what? <laughs> so it's like like i i think you gotta like really uh, recalibrate your expectations here you're not going to just take over words with friends oh, we're thinking we could make like a word game i'm like that's not what you asked for and they say well here's your six thousand dollars it's like oh okay thanks and then you get six thousand dollars to split between three people for like two months of work and it's like you know the old hobo slicing a bean in your looney tunes you know something <laughs> like that yeah and uh it's it's just not it's not a delicious lifestyle and uh all throughout, I was aware of the possibility of narking and just becoming, uh, you know, just plunging straight into the psychosphere of the whole thing and just letting, letting the evil happen, you know, <laughs> just like, like letting myself get, I had people offering me like, we want to, we want to try to get you together with a funding round for your, your esports startup or whatever video ball. We made this game called video ball. I try to not say its name. Uh, cause, uh, you know, people, I, I try, I've, I don't say it in my Kotaku videos because, uh, I get really weird people then DMing me on Twitter. Oh, you're just using your public platform to try to sell your video games. Like, no, I don't even get any of the money from the game when it sells i get none of that so like the we have the publisher never recouped they invested in us and uh that's what investment is so uh the publishers are great they're fantastic people dave lang iron galaxy beautiful people so um and uh i technically don't owe them money so that's fun but uh they helped me get out of a bad situation with another publisher so i, I didn't want to take any of this narc money from these these cold billionaires, these psycho ghosts. I didn't want to take the big money because it's just scary, you know? And I got to a point where I met Peter Thiel. Oh my I met God. Peter Thiel twice, right? Oh. So, like, <laughs> like, I got to a point where I was staring down the barrel of millions of free dollars, just being able to just take it and have it. All because I can show up in a meeting uh, and I can talk like this and I can gesture with my hands very succinctly in a manner that gives people confidence that I'm as psychopathic as they are. <laughs> right. And I don't know. I just had people offering me this money and I should have, because maybe I could have taken it and done something pretty good, you know, right. No, but I know what you're talking about. Like when you're in that situation, you're at one of these businesses where you just see these people making like exorbitant amounts of money. And it's just like, that could yeah. be, that could be me if I did what they're doing, which is not, they're not doing it because it's yeah. difficult. They're not capable of doing it because it's difficult and they've been trained in such a way that they can do this job. It's just because like they have decided that this is what they're going to do, that they're okay with the consequences and like the fact that they're working at this specific place that does these things. And then they just, they just jump on it. And then again, it's like a matter of failing up from there. If you could like say the right things, if you can copy the people who failed up before you, if you can like come up with enough different meeting ideas, then you're good. You're good to they're, go. Yeah. They're just, they're just flat out chill with it. They're just flat out chill with, uh, 
the darkness, yeah, you know, of of this this just evil, evil money, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's it's like I said, money's not real, and anybody, it's it's just uh, it's not real, but it's a real goddamn problem, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's just like there's just people out there who've got it, and uh. That's not me. And I could have taken some of it. I could have Googled how to embezzle or whatever. <laughs> if I could figure out how to smartly embezzle. People get away with that stuff all the time. Oh, yeah. I could have made something. I feel like, and you look at America, you know, talking about the American dream is that anybody can be anything and anybody can become anything and anybody can go from nothing to being rich. That's not true. And even if it were true, the way it would work is anybody can get rich if they pathologically focus on themselves right Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's probably not too far off i'm not really sure how else to develop this philosophy here you uh it's uh there there's and that's why you end up with rich people all they want is more right yeah you can see that disease any we, we can sympathize with this disease if we think about a public bathroom and have you ever been waiting in line for a one a one toilet public bathroom? And like for a long time, like waiting to get into the bathroom oh, yeah. at a Starbucks in New York City, perhaps. And uh and just been like, oh man, I gotta get in there. Oh God, why why is this person taking so long? When I get in there, I'm gonna I'm gonna be done so fast. And then you get in there and you're just like, Oh yeah. It's like a hotel room and you just like chill there for like 10 minutes. That's, that's what it is. Yeah. We can sympathize with this disease of I'm on top baby ism by just, I mean, there's these little molecular examples that we can find in our own lives. And, uh, that's why it's evil to be rich. And that's why I'm not rich because I don't want to be evil though. Maybe if I were rich, could I do something good? Maybe not because I've taken my time in a public bathroom after, vowing silently to myself that I'm going to do this. I'm going to be in and out. Right. I've done it before. Yeah. So I I don't trust myself and I can't trust myself. And ultimately uh, when people offered me money to help make this video game, I ended up going with the people I liked and uh, I still like them and maybe they still like me. So we, uh, we published that game and it made an extreme negative amount of money. We would have needed the, like a million dollars, like not, not even that's like, not just off the top of my head. We would have needed like a million dollars to market it correctly, and uh, to hire a couple other people to help fix the menus and to just we we would have we could have used more staff instead of just three full time dudes and one part time dude. And we could have you know we could have done a little bit more with it. We could have spent, and uh, again the publisher very excited and they helped. They helped with the uh, implementation of the online multiplayer, though with some of that dark billionaire money, we could have done it real sweet, you know? And that's where I'm at with the 2010s. I looked at games like Overwatch and games like Rocket League, games that proved competitive games are about more than first-person shooting or real-time strategy or fighting games. you got soccer with cars, became one of the hugest games in the world for a minute. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I guess it's still sort of there. And then Overwatch is MOBA characters in a first-person shooter with a sort of a Street Fighter character design aesthetic. And uh, I mean, just, I mean, we're talking like not really what you would call visionary stuff, 
though it's 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 visionary in in patchwork and the fact that you've put all these things together and you've you've put all these different genres and design keystones together where that like blizzard had developed forever and you end up with overwatch being just game design marketing branding masterpiece right like this huge thing and they're they're developing this at the same time that i'm working on my multiplayer game that takes uh you know, we saw our approach as kind of inverse to uh, Overwatch. We were making a game where uh, the trailer encourages the player to consider themselves the character. So the game, the game occupies a position of, and I, I'd given lectures about this before. Uh, uh, the game is a transformative game. It turns your TV into the arena. Your T. I mean, I'm I'm able to sell this. Uh, Anybody with a million dollars listening to this, I'm able to sell this not pretentiously as well. So uh, there's a way to say it's uh, when when a video game is playing in your TV, if you add like a nice border. And I mean, this is the thing that like retro compilations sometimes miss when they add like a border to the screen. It usually looks kind of tacky. It looks like they're just trying to replicate, you know, they're indulging in skeuomorphism. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying to replicate an exact arcade cabinets uh, thing, your Donkey Kong or whatever around the edges of the screen. Whereas with our game, we we made it real. We made it like something that actually looked like the game, though also distinctly a border. Something that makes the TV look like a thing. And later, I would I would pick up on this. Uh, I had, I had started to see rumblings of this in user interface design, like graphic design trends, and I see it now in the new Apple TV interface. Kind of makes your the the they did an Apple TV OS update recently, and it makes it feel a lot more like your TV has turned into an Apple TV display mm. portal. Mm. You know, this whole, this whole transforming your, uh, a, a, a digital good is the word I would use. It's a digital good. I was calling our game video ball, a digital sporting good. is what I was calling it. And, uh, I mean, we obviously, we didn't have the money to develop a bunch of CG, you know, 60 FPS animated characters that look real cool like Overwatch did, though at the same time we were thinking, what if we, uh, yeah, that's, that was clearly a thing. We were working on another game at that time called Grab Jackers, which was a hero-style uh, arena multiplayer game. Grab Jackers, uh, a fantastic game, would have been real fun if we'd had the money to actually make it, which we didn't. Though that was actually, had kind of a lot in common with Overwatch. And uh, I mean, if we're going to just, if you, want, if you want some sort of punchline here, I guess I've been talking about Overwatch this kind of this whole time uh, because Overwatch is is an example of Blizzard who are old school real dudes, not these startup trash bags that I worked for who were grasping at the spindly little wiry shadow straws falling off the bottom of worse games. Um. <laughs> Blizzard has just been laying the goddamn bricks one at a time since Lost Vikings, Blackthorn, uh, uh, Warcraft, Orcs and Humans, like uh, up through Diablo, Warcraft 2, Starcraft. They've been building on these things. They've built modern esports. They, they created esports. Let's not mince words here. I mean, we had Dune 2. We had Command and Conquer, though. You end up with something like Warcraft and then up through Starcraft. And you're like, you're seeing where all of this has come from. This this 
this true blossoming of the possibility space in design, like really, really making something great, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they've been working with that stuff. You've got Goddarn Hearthstone, which is like a work of design art. You've got Diablo 3, which is beautiful, the most pristine mathematics that I've ever seen, that I've ever extracted from a video game is Diablo 3. Uh, I don't even want to talk about, start talking about World of Warcraft. Then you end up with something like uh, Heroes of the Storm, which is like a perfect MOBA, which I guess nobody wanted, right? They they wanted the trash can MOBAs, and no offense to League of Legends, but uh, <laughs> its its acronym is uh, is apropos. Uh, so, like, I mean, just like Blizzard then, you know, they, they come up with this thing, Overwatch, which combines it all, uh, forces, it turns team composition into a deck building, right? So team composition is deck building, and it's not just the the, the characters aren't just the deck. You get your hero characters with MOBA attributes and MOBA abilities and, and supers, just all this stuff incorporated together. And it's uh, it's everything that I had been working on in little games that wouldn't blip on Blizzard's radar because Blizzard's just on the true path, you know. And I'm a, I'm a rat by the roadside compared to those people. And, uh, you know, just a cosmic, horrific ocean's breadth of difference between what I was doing and what those people were doing. And did I understand it when I saw Overwatch? Absolutely. I saw it and I just immediately got darn Neo at the end of the Matrix, you know? I saw the code. Uh, I knew Kung Fu, etc. Like, what, you know? I, I saw the whole god darn thing. And I'm like, this is beautiful. And I saw Overwatch, which came out uh, about six weeks before my game did. And uh, not that we were competitors or anything. My game served a different need. It was more of a get everybody in the room together right, and play right, it right. kind of game. Though, uh, I mean, it did have online, uh, which, you know, got uh, overlooked by all the reviews, which talked about how hard it is to get four people together in this day and age. Which, it's like, what does that mean, this day and age? Apparently, we're in the day and age of not getting people together. We're in the day and age of yelling about stuff on social media. Weigh in on every issue or die, <laughs> as today goes. Back then, when I released my game, we still called opinions, opinions. We didn't call them takes. We had enough time to pronounce a three-syllable word. Look how everything's goddarn changed. And then I didn't make any money off my game. And, uh tried a couple of things in 2017 and I ended up moving to New York City with no prospect because I was out of money and uh, I didn't want to work I refused to work for those people anymore I worked one more job I did one last job in the San Francisco Bay Area and uh, I was supposed to fly to Los Angeles to go to a meeting at some headquarters and I'm sitting there in my house in uh April of 2017 and then I'm just waiting for this guy to call me about they're sending an Uber to my house to take me to the airport because I'm like I don't know when the flight is and they're like oh the meeting's canceled we're gonna have it in uh we're gonna have it in uh, probably in June I don't know we'll call you I'm like okay and then I just moved to New York like three weeks later with no I no prospects got rid of all my furniture and I moved here I'm like, I'm going to be god darn 40 years old in like two years, I was thinking. I got to do something. And now I'm here. And uh, 
two months after that, I got a job at Kotaco.com, a website about delicious Mexican food, mm-hmm. making videos, because I wanted to do something easy, you know? I wanted to do something <laughs> like, I wanted to try to excel at something easy was my selfish idea. Like, I didn't want to have to think so much because I was starting to, I, I would, I was going like week, like a week without sleep at a time with the previous stuff I was doing, working a hundred or so hours a week, 120 hours a week. You know how many hours there actually are in a week, right? It's not that many. It's, there's, there's not really that many of them compared to the versus the 120. I won't spoil it for you. Anybody out there with a calculator? Um, it was, it was bad, man. Somehow I played a lot of video games during that year, uh, that, that year, that decade. Then I moved here and I just played a whole bunch more games and made videos about them for Kotaku.com. And that's really it. Did it turn out to and, be uh, easy though? Cause I feel like you, you're still producing ungodly oh, amounts well, of content. Well, it's, it's easy. It, it is definitely very easy. Like, um, though it's it's what i do is i I make it as hard for myself as i can Mm. so like constantly raising the bar and such i feel like if you don't like learn a new technique at your trade uh at least one per week i think that's weird i think uh i think that just feels like really stupid to me so i make sure i learn how to do something new every week the go-to haters uh tell me that I should learn to code, which is funny because anybody who knows how to program a computer does not call it coding. And uh, I'm already there, man. Like, I don't know. I coded a thing this week uh, for this video that I did. Um, Probably should not put in that much work. I worked 40 hours this weekend. That's not 24 hours in a day. Do the math, people. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, that's not really good. Uh, I uh, I watched six Marvel Cinematic Universe films in French while I worked. That was fun. I've been watching because uh, they're on that Disney Plus with like all the languages. So I've been watching why, why them. Why French? Do you know French? Or uh, yeah, yeah, just... yeah. Oh, okay, uh, but uh, cool. I mean, I'm not like good at French, but uh, yeah. look, like it's a nice way to keep up with a language is to watch a film. In English, or not really watch it, but I just listen to it while I'm working, and then mm. afterward put it on in French, right? Does that make sense? Or yeah. put it on in they're in Italian as well. So I watched, I watched uh, Thor, the first Thor movie, which kind of sucks, in uh, English, French, Italian, and German. So that was fun. I just like did it like four times yesterday. Uh, it's kind of a stupid thing to do, but uh, you end up just kind of absorbing stuff that way does that make sense yeah that's not ridiculous right no yeah yeah, yeah. everybody should try this it's all freely available everybody you know if you're listening you should try it it's it's neat do it while you work it's like a podcast it's like listening to a podcast you don't have to actually watch those marvel movies you don't have to pay attention at all it's incredible (laughs) (laughs) uh it's like when 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 there's an action scene just you just know that the good guys are going to win so you don't have to actually look at the screen there's no stakes yeah they do that on purpose because, uh, number one, they need to make those merchandise dollars and they need to keep the characters alive as long as possible and only kill them after they've been around for like 10 years. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty good, right? Yeah, yeah. 
So, you know, you just, you, you don't have to look at the screen. Thor's going to win. He's going to kill the guy. Like, whatever. You know, you don't have to watch. Who cares? You know, just to get some work done at that point. Anyway, it's now the end of 2019. We're coming up on New Year's. It's almost midnight. That's a joke. It's not. Um, <laughs> though, uh, what, what would you say is like you're like now that the decade's over, like for you, what, what's been like a highlight? I guess like in your career or just like in observing games as an industry or like something that sticks out to you, anything, you know? Yeah. Something that sticks out to me. Let me think like a one, like a one moment or a game, I guess. uh, I'm trying to not spoil my video. The, The one that came to the top of my head to the top of what? The one that came to the top of my head was uh, one that I feel like would be a fun, would be a spoiler for my video mm. that would be more delightful to experience as a video context. Let me uh, uh, let's let's table that for the time being, because I also sure, want to sure. talk about your life as a person who made video game content or slash. Oh, pieces, yeah. Articles. I mean, I feel like the first time I was ever. I ever heard the name Tim Rogers was like 2009 or something. I think it was like I on think your I read your Bioshock Infinite review yeah. or oh, something. Oh, the one from 2013? Yeah. I think yeah. I was. Yeah. Oh my a, God. A beast. Yeah. Posted that on uh, April 19th, 2013. That's when oh, I posted Lord. that. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it that. makes sense. That's when it came out. Yeah. So, yeah. oh man, that feels like so long ago, but it's only 2013. But for some reason, Bioshock <laughs> Infinite feels like early 2000s to me for some reason. And I'm like, wow, it's like not that long ago. But this was all happening mm-hmm. parallel to the consulting work, right? You were just kind of doing this in the background. Yeah. This was just your like side thing. Yeah, it was just it was just fun. It was like streaming, except I didn't I didn't want to stream. So I just you know just sit down. You type some words and forty. You have a document open. Words. You type some stuff and then you type some more stuff. Uh, it took me like I think it took me like three weeks to write that review because the game came out on March twenty sixth, twenty thirteen. I got that for free from a, a lot of these people. These at developers sending me games for free, and then I just wrote really mean reviews of them they loved it though they loved it they do love that i think when you tell them what's wrong with their thing yeah i mean in bioshock infinite's case i refrained from yelling too much about the plot and instead uh i just made fun of the shooting Hmm. and the plot stuff was like not not good no it's not and the level design's not good it's like play play a play a quake level man like i don't know (laughs) Check it out, bro. Okay, wait. So <laughs> would you consider yourself during that time, because this was happening in parallel with like a lot of other people who, people who were making blogs and who were doing this like new games journalism, this new style, this new blogosphere. This is when like blogosphere was still a thing. I remember I used to have like Google Reader uh-huh. and I had like Lee Alexander's sexy video game land on there was one of the things that I used to follow. Oh, sexy video game oh, land. Yeah. yeah, I remember that I used one. To follow that. Um, there was like all kinds of stuff I used, used to follow. And um, Nightmare Mode, I used to write for them. Patricia Hernandez used to be there back in the day. Um, yeah, it was a good site. There was a lot of stuff going on. But um, were you part of that community, community or were you kind of like siloed off just doing your own thing at the time where you like in conversation with those sites 
or like where where, where were you in the whole scene would you say i kind of i never really felt like a part of a of a community yeah. of the websites or or blogs back then i didn't know lee alexander personally mm. if that counts uh uh and i i believe i i believe i still do uh <laughs> she liked an instagram photo of mine the other day so we're clearly best go. friends still <laughs> um i i remember just kind of basically being uh an outsider of a sort as much as one can be amongst people who are doing eerily similar things though uh i i never never in my wildest bonkers did i ever ever want to get paid to write about video games like never and uh it's the most shocking twist in the world that i ended up just uh doing it here i don't understand why i did it i have a moment every couple of days where i'm just like why this is the most ridiculous thing for me to be doing right now is making it's just a it's just shrilly idiotic for me to be doing this okay uh, but i want to but sorry I, yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you yeah. say that but i feel like you're also you're doing good work i feel like you have to know that you met you do good work right like you know that you well, have thanks. these ideas. I, yeah. No, but also not just that, but I think it also resonates with people. Like you have a pretty big following. I think there's like a lot of people for whom your stuff, your humor, your insight, your ability to pull just like the most nutty references out of your head that like handfuls of people know. Um when yeah. you when you look back on it, like I know that it's in your brain because it like I feel like we're all self-critical, right? People who write, people who are in media and stuff. We we tend to look at our own stuff and be like, well, this person does this better. Or I feel like I'm oh, producing sure. like something I'm capable of. Do you look at the stuff that you've done? Let's talk specifically about Kotaku. I mean, there's been millions of other things that you've done <laughs> over the past 10 years. God knows. But when you look at that stuff, yeah, too many. do you feel like you've accomplished what you set out to accomplish? Do you feel like you're doing something good here? Or is it kind of in your brain still sort of outweighed by like the consequences, the self-criticism, the stuff that you see as like being a flawed about it, you know? I, I, uh, absolutely unequivocally consider everything I'm doing complete trash <laughs> and completely com like I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious, like just completely worthless trash. There is stuff happening in the world. Uh, there's just so god darn much of of a world uh and i am wasting so much time doing this uh it used to be a hobby and i used to be able to get away with it because it's like with bioshock infinite i had like a, a a google doc open and i'm just like a tab over there every couple of minutes and where was i oh let's keep going and i had like an outline and it was like i could get away with it as like a hobby though it's like Knowing that this pays my health insurance makes me feel bad. And uh, it could just be my age. It could just be various uh, various life things. Though it just, it just feels bad to do this job. Especially because I know there's a lot of people who like the stuff. And I, I mean, I, I like, I enjoy having published a video. Like when the video's done and I publish it, 
I'm like, heck yeah. And I just like love reading the comments and the tweets for an hour or so. And then, you know, I just, I feel awful after. I just, I feel like complete nonsense. I feel like a complete idiot shortly after, a couple hours after. And then I'm like, oh, that sucks. This sucks. And it's just that feeling is just overall pretty oppressive. And it's no, no offense to anybody at this particular organization or, or, or anybody involved in this job. You know, it's just me. It's just, it's just my problem. And I thought I would be able to get over it at some point. I just, I just have not gotten over it. I mean, I feel like I relate to that. I don't like, I don't remember last time I published something and I was like, that was really good. I don't like ever get that feeling. It's mostly like, um, like dreading hitting publish. And then when it's up, I'm like, if I get some nice comments, I'm like, oh, this is nice for like a day maybe. And then in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I don't know why I wrote that. If I've learned one thing in the, in the 2010s, I mean, I remember right. I used to write on live journal in like 1999, you know, and I remember getting haters. We've talked about haters Mm -hmm. before. And, uh, they were so creative, you know, they would find your address or like whatever, you know, they would, they would send you a letter, uh, with like a bunch of hair clippings in it or, or I don't know. Like they just do weird stuff or they would, they would, they would write weird comments. Now it's just like, there's still that. I still do get occasional really psychotic emails and messages from people. Uh, though I've learned in the 2010s that, uh, that hate is so much louder than everything else. And when I write a video, it doesn't matter how many people uh, tell me they love it because I'm getting thousands of people per hour just copy-pasting, you know, stuff and just, uh, like, I don't know how that's a hobby. Again... And we should be afraid when we cannot empathize with someone. We should fear that. And uh, I know that they're not even empathizing with any sort of real human experience either. They're just kind of rotely, animatronically performing this behavior. And it has the, it has the, the, the veneer of humanity to it. It looks like a person is doing it. It looks like there's a, a human involved. And there is. Though at the same time, you know, it's not, it's not an act of humanity. It's not an act of nature. It's just, I end up with a lot of hate. And uh, that's, that's, a, that's disappointing. And it makes you feel like you're talking to something worse than a brick wall at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you're talking to, I don't know, it's just It's bad. like nihilistic. And I've it's, noticed. It's, I know exactly what you're yeah. talking about. It just feels so, there's... The talk, talking to something worse than a brick wall is like something that I've thought of so many times where it's like you think in your head, you know, like when you finish an argument that went really badly and you get in the shower and you think like, I would say this thing to this person and it would be like the greatest comeback or it would have made everything better, what have you. When you think about interactions with these people online who are just there to like do exactly what you're saying there is no like thing that you could have said to have made anything better to have changed their mind on anything because it's just like this this nihilistic like they're just they just want to laugh at you and make you feel bad like that's literally their only yeah well i mean they're the thing is they're they're not actually laughing though oh yeah 
they're not enjoying they're not enjoying it they're just uh they're just they're just psychos and then i mean again i've noticed so frequently you'll see a retweet right you've ever seen one of these a retweet where (laughs) where somebody retweets uh uh a god darned like i can't believe what these freaks are saying can you believe this and it's like a retweet of like a horrible thing mm-hmm. that somebody said. Yeah. And then you like click on it just to see like, who is this person? And then you see, it's got like 40,000 retweets, like 200,000 likes, 50,000 replies. And then you're like, I don't know who this person is. And you click on them and they've got like 600,000 Twitter followers. You're like, I don't know this person. I have no idea who this person is, why this person does what they do. Uh, what led them to think the horrible thing that they think, why they're so popular despite thinking it, or perhaps because of it. Um, just the fact that the the carnival spectacle has completely owned the idealistic dream of the internet. That's the 2010s. The 2010s is we can't even can't even make a joke anymore. You, you've got to it's got to be a meme. Mm-hmm. You know. I post a video and somebody replies with a guy from the office saying it's happening or whatever. It's like, oh, can't be excited on your own terms, you know, use your words, my friend. A disdain will grow for memes in the next few years. The younger generation will oust them. And uh, I hope. I don't get why people just post like gifts and like photos as like a, like memes of like a, as a reply. Like, why weigh in just, on everything immediately talk? or die. That's yeah. the rule. Weigh exactly. in on everything immediately or die. And that's okay. I mean, there's something scary about it. Um, there's something certainly scary about it. And I feel like, you know, you put your detective hat on and dig deep enough in that dumpster and you'll find some profound whatever, you know, something in there. There's something in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lord knows if I have the guts to figure it out. But who knows, right? Maybe the next decade will be all good. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, Those impeachment inquiries are happening. <laughs> it could be all good from here. <laughs> Maybe we'll have a Dark Souls Four or a Bloodborne Two or a Sekiro Two. You know, I mean, who knows what we're gonna have in the future? Demon Souls Remaster. Ooh. I mean. We're looking at some good possibilities, right? Yeah. That's my joke That's, uh... about. <laughs> They're going to bring the X-Men totally... into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, dude. Spider-Man. Who's going to play Wolverine, man? Didn't Spider-Man get reconfirmed he's, there? Like, he's, he's back. He's Spider-Man's not, back. He's not yeah. Sony anymore. Yeah, baby. that was such a dumb thing. It was like, oh, he's not going to be in any more <sighs> movies. And then like a day later, it was like, just God kidding. darn, he's, God he's darn politics there. as usual is what it was. It was the old money fright. Like, we're going to scare you <laughs> with the idea of less billions. And then they're like, oh, oh no, my billions is basically what that was. Who's going to play Wolverine? Who's your guess? Mm. Hugh Jackman's my, out, right? Hugh died. Jackman's done. He's done. Yeah. He's retired. We're having a new Wolverine. A oh. new Wolverine. Who's the new Wolverine? Weigh in here on my pop culture podcast (laughs) 
Welcome I'm like back actually to like thinking very deeply about this. I'm like, who would be the new Hugh Jackman wanted Tom Hardy, but Tom Hardy's playing oh, I was Venom. Say Tom he, Hardy. Right? Yeah. Tom Hardy would be the best. Yeah. Just get the guy that looks like Tom Hardy, the one that was in telling lies. Oh god, guy. that guy's terrible. There, there's <laughs> the Tom the Tom Hardy light. <laughs> Just put him so in there. Wolverine, it is renowned. He's a short guy. He's like five feet tall, though they don't do that in the movies, do they? They don't really prioritize his height. The Wolverine in the comics is supposed to be like five foot something. Really? He's yeah, like, he's supposed to be like five cool. feet That's like wide my height in have, the movies. That's have you ever sick. seen a Wolverine? Wolverines are little tiny. Yeah. They're like a little little baby. They're strong. But they're they tough. should just cast an actor who's actually five feet. They're, they're built for that. tough. <laughs> I want like Alex- really buff and like very short. <laughs> I want Alexander Skarsgård to play Wolverine. Oh, <laughs> that would be good. He was he was he's Tarzan like the opposite of short, but you know, yeah, he's, he's real tall. But they can make it work. He's 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 uh, yeah, I think Wolverine yeah, Wolverine's shortness is necessary. You know, I just got a dog recently. Oh, yeah, After, I've seen pictures of your dog. Your I wanted really a dog cute. a long time ago, and then I figured this decade is ending, and I still don't have a dog. Let's get one, and we got one little baby, Bibby Babis, also known as Debabis, <laughs> D apostrophe Babis. His name is Debabis, and uh. That's- very cute. I'm gonna tell you what he's a goddamn true friend. Dogs a, are the best. He's a real. Did you know that? And I've almost I've come close to scientifically proving this now, because I've been alone with the dog for for four days. I've, we've had the dog for two months. <laughs> I've been alone with the dog, and uh, I have scientifically proven almost that the dog does not consider me his owner or his master. He thinks of me as his friend. How, how did you prove this? I've almost, this is, this is like a whole nother hour's worth of conversation. Can people do this at home? (laughs) So let me know. Let me know in the, in the chat. If you'd like me to start my own podcast, I should, I should, people keep telling me to start a podcast. I don't even know what you're supposed to do. This you just, you just like put, you just put it on the internet. Is that it? Yeah. You just talk to people, you record it. You sometimes have a theme. See, I don't know if, I don't know if I would like. I see the weird thing is I don't know about like listening to it. I don't know if anybody would want to listen to. I wouldn't want to listen to the stuff that I I would want to talk about. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, let's see. I Tell mean, us I feel what there's with there's always and we'll see. Yeah, there's always someone out there. I feel like oh, it's a it's it's a complicated nebulous thing. I would have to uh, I would have to research my my own thoughts. I would have to introspect mm. a little bit. He's a creature of a breed, which was manufactured via careful genetic manipulation by rich women in 19th century England. His entire species is a a sham that was created for the purpose of huggability, loyalty, and amusement. And he's a a tiny comedy factory. (laughs) Behaves with the ancient nature of a wolf. Presents himself as some majestic beast. He's a goddamn Pomeranian. He is seven inches tall, 3.8 pounds. Uh, yet he acts like a goddamn wolf on Game of Thrones with this utterly serious expression on his face. He has this collection of little toys that he, he's collected various objects and claimed them for his own. The silicone shower drain, uh, microfiber cloth I had been using to clean my glasses, of which I have... 20 replacements so i let him keep it straps (laughs) two straps from a pair of shoes i was about to throw away that he liked uh little stuffed waluigi i bought him 
He's been ripping it to shreds slowly. Whoa, that's sad. A little toy shaped like a pizza, a slice of pizza that I bought at Target for three ninety nine, which is a good deal. Turns out because the amusement is quite high with that. Um, <laughs> he has this pile of things that when when I let him out of the bedroom, he just carries them one at a time together. He carries them one at a time. And he was having trouble eating his food. So uh, I've been thinking like a game designer with this dog because we keep him locked up in a cage when we go to bed because, you know, you don't want him to get into stuff. So I, I level designed the bedroom so that there's no way for him to get into any stuff, which wasn't, you know, it, it was a Mario Maker 1, day 1 <laughs> level of level design where it's just like I'm able to keep some stuff out of his reach and I'm able to gate some stuff. And, you know, it actually resulted in better cable flow for the cords and outlets in the room. And then I'm, I'm in the middle of doing the same thing to the living room, though. Right now, he's, he's alone in the bedroom, and I'm going to go home and see how he's doing. He's been in there for about 10 hours, but he should be okay because it's, it's a pretty spacious room for Brooklyn. Because uh, we live in the part of Brooklyn where you can get a spacious room. And uh, I'm going to finish up that living room. So I've been, I've been level designing it, though... Uh, We've been having trouble getting him to eat his food. So, um, and sometimes we will have to sit down and like spoon him the food, like give him the food with a spoon and he'll eat it off the spoon just fine. Right. And, uh, we've been experiencing, we're experimenting with various recipes. So right now he's eating this chicken, rice, carrot blend where it's just, it's just chicken, rice, and carrots. It's, it's like human food. Right. And, uh, into which I put a little bit of yogurt and a little bit of uh, Whole Foods organic canned pumpkin. And uh, it's just, you know, all good stuff for a dog to eat. It's uh, very healthy. It's like human food, except obviously it would be way too bland for a human because there's no spices on it because you can't give a dog spices. So uh, sometimes he doesn't eat and uh, we've been spoon, like sitting down and you got to spoon feed him the food, like one spoonful at a time because it, it becomes like fun for him if you're spoon feeding it to him. And, uh, I think that means he thinks it's fun, right? So uh, I have been in the morning, I, I started doing an experiment, like he wouldn't eat his food. And rather than spoon feed him, I sit down on the floor next to his food and I eat my food. And I have successfully gotten him to eat all of his food, uh, eight meals in a row, by simply by sitting next to him and eating my food while he eats his. And... Uh, I gave him, we have these little cookies that I got at Wegmans, uh, little peanut butter cookies for dogs. And I give him one by his food bowl when he finishes his dinner. And then I go sit down on the sofa, uh, you know, to watch some TV. And he gets the cookie and <laughs> comes running over and sits next to me and eats the cookie. He will not eat the cookie unless he's sitting next to me when he eats it. So... This little beast wants, he wants two things in the world. Two things. So he wants treats. And I can sympathize with that, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah, okay. I love a treat. Mm -hmm. He loves nothing in the world as much as, much less more than, peanut butter and cheese. And that's a double heck yeah, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> that's a... Peanut butter and cheese. He can't have all cheeses, but he can have a lot of cheese varieties. It depends on like what what spices are in the cheese. So I'm I'm sure to give him the correct cheese. Craft Mexican cheese he can have. It has like cheddar and something, or whatever it's got in there. I I, I did I looked it up on the internet. It's it's a proper <laughs> cheese for a proper Pomeranian to have. 
So he loves treats. That's the one thing he loves. He loves to uh, he loves to lick the condensation off of an ice cold can of Coca Cola Zero. He loves ice cubes. I give him an ice cube and he picks it up and carries it from his. He he always carries the ice cube back to his bed in his cage in the bedroom, and then eats it in front of his bed, and he just sits there crunching it like a wood chipper, just crunching this thing. So the ice cubes he eats by himself, the peanut butter cookies he eats with me, which is weird. So there's that. That's one thing. And uh, the other thing he wants, and this is, uh, this is the harder one to vocally sympathize with, though this is the more profound one in my opinion, is uh, so number one, he wants treats. Number two, he just wants to be as close as possible to his friends. And uh, to the point of if you put him in the house and you close the door and you stand in the hall, you need to only wait for five seconds before he begins howling, howling like like Bambi's mom died or whatever, just just screaming. <laughs> he just he just screams with this complete objectively recognizable sadness on this dog because he's alone. and He doesn't want to be alone. And uh, he barked at the landlord the other day. So he doesn't like everybody. He barked repeatedly. And it's like, again, this is phenomena that dog owners have been uh, remarking upon for decades and centuries. Right? Well, my dog barks at people he doesn't like. It's like, I mean, he just, I'm, I'm more interested in the behavior he shows to people he does like. And I guess he does like me. And uh, it's nice. And I mean, it gets talked about a lot. I mean, you can't can't throw a rock on the internet without hitting somebody who's talking about how much they they love their precious dog or whatever. Uh, and I mean, sure, it's 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 an overplayed conversation, though. I feel uh, experiencing it firsthand. I've always wanted a dog. Uh, we had cats when I was a kid, and cats are cats are boring. Whoa! <laughs> I mean, to I me, they cats, to me and boring. I love my cats, but I also had like to fun me, they're cats. boring. Oh, fun but cats I do are fun. also. I also want a dog. Like I've that. known a couple cats who will like tussle with you and then like hang out yeah. with you. But uh, that's how my cats were. They're just like my my little dog is where, wherever I go. He runs after me, and if I sit down, he jumps up and sits next to me. And uh, when I get home, the uh, the explosively ecstatic gratitude on his face for the fact that I just showed up. It's like he hasn't seen me in twenty years, and he's just freaking out. And it's like I could go outside to take the trash out. And there's a threshold. I have to be gone for a certain number of minutes before the the explosiveness, the, the happiness, uh, like, completely recharges. Though it's just seeing that, and it's a cheap trick, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cheap thrill for me. Uh, maybe it's a big deal for him. Uh, and, you know, you look at him sometimes and you just feel sad that there's something this, uh, something this simple and honest in the world, just superhuman in his honesty. A human can't be as honest as that dog. You know, we say dogs are loyal and they're man's best friend or whatever. Though, I see it as a, just kind of something darker and older that he's he's just more honest and he's more real. And it's it's maybe it's because of the the wordlessness. Maybe it's because of the fact that he's got these ancient genes, or maybe it's the pity I feel due to his manufactured nature that he's uh, he was engineered to be smaller 
Did you know that Pomeranians shrunk in size by 66% during the reign of Queen Victoria? It's oh true. Oh, God. Yeah, breeders. It's horrifying. Uh, breeders really, they engine, they made a dog. They made a type of dog based on an ideal. And it's, uh, it's a little weird. And you look at them and you're just like, what is the ethical way? <laughs> what, is, what is the ethical way to non-psychopathically own this animal? I've joked in the past <laughs> that owning a pet is kind of an act of sociopathy. You just want to own something. And it's like, yeah, sure. I'm, I don't, I don't, I feel, I just realize he doesn't think that I own him. He, he thinks I'm his friend and the best thing I can do is just be nice to him, you know, mm -hmm. show him respect. Not just, this is, this goes beyond like, don't be cruel to him or, you know, like, like, I mean, show him respect, you know? And yeah. uh, that's why I'm saying he's a true friend. He's my true friend, you know? And that's good. My little buddy. My tiny buddy, my luxury gremlin. <laughs> my luxury goblin. My little cinnamon snow gremlin. He's a, he's a wonderful they do creature. They're kind of like, they're like gremlins with just very small faces, you know? Just, <laughs> like a kobold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's a... He's just a he's just a wonderful little creature, man. Yeah. He's just fantastic. Yeah. I just love it. But uh Yeah, I'm just gonna be nice to him and give him some good food. Be the friend food. he needs, you know? Be the friend he wants. Don't let him be afraid or ashamed or worried about anything. Mm -hmm. Just make sure he chills. Cause sometimes you look at the serious look on his face and you're like, what <laughs> what what god darn like ceaseless terror is going on in his brain. This, this, in, this inherited ancient primordial collective fear of death. That's just coursing through him at all times that he doesn't need it. He's, he's in an environment where he does not need that. And, uh, you know, you can tell when he's, he's having a good time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you kind of want him to just have a good time all the time. Though I know that like right now that fear is kind of creeping back in him. And he kind of, he probably wants to go out into the living room and see what's up out there. Patrol out there. You know, he wants to patrol. Yeah. That's what he wants to do. And he will patrol uh, in about 35 minutes when I get home. Because we're going to end <laughs> this in about one minute, right? Yes. <laughs> right? Yeah. One, okay. That's my dog. That's my, that's the story of my dog. Let me know in the chat if you would like a podcast of stuff like that. That's what I would talk about. I do. I Not want video it. games. Did I you listen to that? That was that yeah. was all just off, sure. off the. That was all off the top of my head. So maybe that should be my podcast. Tim, do you have know. any words to leave us with when it comes to the next decade? Not it doesn't just have to be in video the games because you know video games like you said they're kind of a. Uh, they, they're fulfilling in the moment, but sometimes life is about more than that. What What's next in the decade? Where should our minds be? How can we seek out fulfillment beyond games or within games, depending on how you see it? Let me think. I think uh, the next decade for me is going to be fig about figuring out how to just not do anything. I just want to chill. I think everybody needs to chill a little bit. Yeah. I think you need to, everybody needs to cut back on the memes. There's no more memes. Like, come on. They're not funny. 
cut back on the memes. I think everybody's going to leave Facebook. Uh, everybody should just quit the social media. And we should get some of the stuff back. I tell people these days, I'm surrounded by god darn millennials in this office, you know? And uh, I'm Generation X, uh, uh, whatever. Man, I don't know. Uh, and uh, I'm just, I'm always like, you know, stuff really was better. I'm like, I come within like a millimeter of saying stuff really was better before we had smartphones. It was like a million times better. And it's like, it was, man. This... I mean, you, you see it in, in places here and there. You see this disdain for technology and smartphones. I feel like, I don't feel like smartphones are a fad per se, though I do feel like it is possible that we're going to see a whole lot of people just back off of the technology stuff, just back off of trying to know all the stuff I learned everything I know pretty much one thing at a goddamn time, you know? I didn't need to sit there and open up a Wikipedia within two seconds of a movie ending to, like, look up the name of the cinematographer or whatever, you know? You know what I mean? You don't need it. And, I mean, it is magnificent that we have access to that stuff. It is amazing that you can watch the new Martin Scorsese movie on your phone, on the bus, and that 16-year-olds today can have that experience on the bus that I, as I said in a tweet yesterday, I would have had to drive two Indiana towns over to try to watch that movie in a movie theater that then would not let me in because they serve alcohol and I was only 18 or whatever. Uh, it's amazing. That it's all just out there. I used to have to talk to a guy at a record store in order to listen to a Japanese import Beastie Boys single, you know, like uh, to learn who Cornelius was. I had to had to listen to had to talk to a guy at a record store, a guy who thought I was trash, you know, stupid fifteen-year-old loser kid, basically a seventeen-year-old thinking a fifteen-year-old was a child. Now you look at it and you're just like, hey, I want everybody to, everybody younger than me right now in the 2020s, you're going to get closer to how old I am than you are right now. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Uh, and uh, I don't know, man. I think, I think the 2020s could be a renaissance of the old stuff. Moderation of the new stuff. Again, magnificent that you've got a phone. It's magnificent. But I think we got to do something about it. Yeah. That's, uh, in other words, the uh, the whole ethos of Black Mirror, you know, it's not kidding around. What if phones, <laughs> but too much. Definitely. Uh, it's too much. <laughs> Though also in, in a real defamiliarized way, what if phones too much? A real defamiliarized way. I think... Uh, we just all need to stop it with the goddamn social media. We need to discredit the social media. We need to all universally reject and discredit it. Else we will allow bad takes and misinformation to rule us. We must begin rejecting it now. We can get into that more later. That's I don't want to take up too much of y'all's yeah. time with the 
No, it's that. food for thought, and that'll be the first topic of conversation on the next uh, Tim Rogers episode of Bad End, or the first episode of <laughs> Tim Rogers podcast. Yeah, TRP. I don't even know what's not the problem. I don't know what to call it. So well, I don't I know what to call think it. of any ideas, or if and, our audience does. Um, but why don't we? Uh, don't don't tell me if you think of it, audience, because then I'll refuse to use it if it's good. So I'll, I'll just be like, oh, I wish I'd come up with that myself. I'm not gonna <laughs> Keep it, it to yourself, audience. Because <laughs> these, you know, if somebody maybe gives I'll you share a, an idea. <laughs> if somebody gives you an idea, and they send it in an email, and then you don't, uh, you end up doing something similar, but you never looked at their email. You will then get another email from them, and then maybe twenty emails from them that say you used my idea. It happens. Right. It happens. It's it's happened to me before. Me, a guy who has created nothing useful or meaningful or profitable in my entire life, I still get people trying to get money from me for uh, uh, stealing their ideas. I don't know what you're talking about, man. You made a joke on Twitter that my friend made. It's like, what? Okay. It's a stupid joke. And it got two <laughs> retweets. Like, okay, man. Anyway. That's another thing about the social media is the joke stealing. You ever oh, see yeah. that? Somebody tweets something, I uh, couldn't find who made this. It's not even joke stealing. That that drives me god darn nuts is the, uh, I couldn't find who made this. <laughs> uh, follow me on SoundCloud. Ha <laughs> ha, I know I'm supposed to say that, but uh, <laughs> lol, I do have a SoundCloud LMAO. And then they link to it. It's like, <laughs> it's like you couldn't find the person who made that clip. It, it took me like three seconds. You'll see someone in the replies be like, it took me three seconds to make it the clip is this. Oh, thanks, bruh. Thanks for finding it for me. And it's like, oh, thanks. Yeah. And then, then they'll like retweet it. Oh, it was somebody, some kind and gracious soul in the comments found this. It's like, you're a guy with like 347 Twitter followers who got his 100,000 retweets. Like, I don't know. That drives me nuts. And that's another thing that's got to stop in the year 2020. We need to stop it. I'll do my I best. Twitter has enough problems that, to stop. I th it, sometime this decade, <laughs> it's never going to stop. Single-handedly, Josh yeah. is going to take yeah. it on. Uh, somebody new is turning twelve every second, so it's just going to keep happening. You know, the world's longest the Disneyland ride. True statistic of this episode. Um, yeah, it's Tim. It's out there. Why don't you plug whatever you want to plug? Your Twitter. Follow me at 108 on Twitter uh, if you would like to know how I got that Twitter handle. The story is sort of contained somewhere in this uh, in this podcast. So it's uh, the explanation, at least, is contained somewhere in this podcast. So re-listen if you haven't. Uh, just, just follow me on follow me on Twitter. I'm, I'm out there. And uh, big things coming soon. Big things. All right. And watch his videos, too, because they're awesome. My videos are wild, and uh, they might kill you. <laughs> I'm still alive, Tim. <laughs> Watch at your own risk. Anyway, we are Bad End Podcast. Tim, thanks so much for coming on again. Always great to have you on the show. Um, I had a good time. Yeah. Out of here. It's, it's and uh, have a great next decade, too. I mean, we'll, we'll probably talk to you again, but, you know, still. Best oh, heck of, yeah. Best of I'll luck be to you in the next decade. We are Bad End Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. You can also email us at badendpod at gmail.com. Read us and review us on iTunes. We are part of Superculture Network, which includes Bullet Points and Savoir Faire Disco Elysium Podcast, which is going under the Superculture Review Podcast. Um, and we will see you, 
I guess next week for another Games of the Decade episode. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, later. Heck yeah. Thank you.